You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Thursday edition of Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The Denver Nuggets said... You know, we're used to one triple-double, but wouldn't it be fun if we had two? Not to mention 30-point triple-doubles. We'll break down that win for Denver that I was horribly wrong about. Also, the RBC Canadian Open underway in the PGA Tour. We'll get to that. Continue talking about the Live PGA merger. Plus, a preview of the LSU Tigers in the Super Regional with the voice of the Tigers. Chris Blair joins us at 4.30 to preview LSU-Kentucky from the box. First game Saturday at 2 o'clock, pregame at 1.30, and you can hear it right here on the game. Producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Thursday. How are you? Doing just fine on this Thursday, Matt. How about you? Mr. Joe Dirt, I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, I, I swear, you you look like Joe Dirt, and it's Joe so, Dirt. It's so funny. I just I, I can't wait for the day that you go to like Dollar Tree and buy Some the fake the sideburns. fake sideburns. Uh-huh. Oh man, you're you're gonna have and just show up in a cutoff. It's gonna be great. Anyways, <laughs> the Denver Nuggets take down the Miami Heat, one hundred nine to ninety four to take a two to one series lead in the NBA Finals. Nikola Jokic, look, you're used to Nikola Jokic getting a triple-double, and if you're not, you probably should get used to it. 32 points on 12 of 21 shooting. He also had 10 assists and 21 rebounds. Yes, that's not a typo. 21 rebounds. Jamal Murray said, you know, that triple-double thing looks like fun. Let me let me get in on that. 34 points. 10 rebounds, and 10 assists as the two superstars combine for 66 of the team's 109 points. Aaron Gordon added in 11, 10, and 5 himself. But James, you know, we talk about the two triple-doubles, which, by the way, first time that a duo each had a triple-double in an NBA Finals game, ever. But to me... That's not even the st- the stat line that I look at and go, oh, wow. Let's talk about the fact that Denver out-rebounded Miami. I, I was waiting to get to that point. 58 to 33. I mean, when Jamal and Nicola get basically the same amount as the whole Miami Heat team, I... There's going to be a big disparity between rebounding. The Miami team as a whole had 33, and Bam Adebayo had 17 of them. You take Bam Adebayo off the floor, you got bullied for four quarters. Absolutely bullied. But 
but you know, I, I just go back to you know Christmas and January and February and people talking. Oh, you know, watch out for Denver. They might be legit this year. But everybody said, and I do mean everybody. I'm not singling out any specific person. I am talking about everyone. Oh, Denver's not that good. I mean, other than Nikola Jokic, who do they have? Have you learned your lesson yet? This team is for real. Up and down. Nikola Jokic is that dude. He's proven it. Over the last three seasons, he probably should have won three straight MVPs. I I don't disagree with the fact that you gave it to Joel Embiid, but you could have easily given it to Nikola Jokic, and I don't think anybody would have complained. Jamal Murray has silently been a dog his entire career. Michael Porter Jr., although he didn't have a great game last night, yeah, shooting-wise, didn't do great. But he's becoming the guy that you thought he was going to be before he injured his back going out of, out of high school. Aaron Gordon's a consistent guy for you. Aaron Gordon has had a resurgence in Denver because he was great his first couple years in Orlando, and then he kind of disappeared. Part, part of that is because the Magic just became god-awful. And you only really ever knew about him during the dunk contest. Correct. Correct. And then he goes to Denver and actually becomes... He has filled the Kevin Love role of that 2016 Cavs team. He's kind of that really good player, but he's not the superstar. Right? Because on that 2016 team, you had Kyrie and LeBron. They were the stars. And then you had Kevin Love sitting over there in the corner like... Hey, I'm pretty damn good, too. And if it comes to a full-court pass, he's got that all in lockdown. Right, right, right. He he can throw it across the court with anybody. And Aaron Gordon has kind of feel like Aaron Gordon's not a superstar. No. But he's a really good player. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of sits in the corner like, hey, if you get in trouble, I'm here. He's really good at that lesser role. Cat's averaging 16 points a game this year. That's impressive. And this team is very well coached. I've always been a huge Michael Malone fan. Um, and I, I just I don't think that anybody is going to stand in the way of Denver winning this title. But, you know, you look at Miami and I really thought that Miami was going to win last night. But now I'm very concerned about Miami's future in this series. Because, yeah, you might win game four. But if you don't, you are very much done. If Denver wins game four tomorrow night and takes a 3-1 lead back to Denver, James, it's a gentleman's sweep. It's done. If you're Miami... How are you going to say, okay, now we have to win three straight and two of them are in Denver? I just, you're done. You're going to be so morally dejected that you're going you're, you're gonna to fall in five games. 
if Miami wants a fighting chance, which I don't think they have much of, but if they want one, you have to take game four tomorrow night. Right, because the only time that Denver has lost at home this whole postseason was game two. And that was a three-point game. That was a came-down-to-one-possession type game. Correct. And there, there was an argument where Miami was given a five-point swing by the refs. So if that's the case, take that five-point swing away, Denver goes on to win game two, and they're up 3-0 in this series right now. So, look, Denver's on a whole nother level than just about anybody else in, in this playoffs. And I, I just think that this is their championship and nobody's going to take that away from them. Um, because when you have two guys, not not just get triple doubles, 30-point triple doubles, that is absolutely... You shot 51% from the field as a team. 51% from the field and everybody but two guys played. Granted, a couple guys played for, you know, 30 seconds, but everybody but DeAndre Jordan and Ish Smith appeared. Uh, it's unreal. Anyways, getting away from the NBA Finals now, the Houston Astros falling last night to the Toronto Blue Jays by a score of 3-2. to two. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say that the Astros played a bad game because I don't think that they did. You had Chris Bassett return from the birth of his child, and he threw an incredible game. He goes eight innings, strikes out five, only gave up the two runs coming off of a two-run homer by Jordan. And then immediately after that two-run homer, the Blue Jays started chipping back away at it. Bo Bichette hits a solo shot in the sixth. Brandon Belt ties it with a solo shot. And then Alejandro Kirk gets a two-run, gets a RBI single in the bottom of the seventh to score what would eventually be the winning run. I thought Ron Blanco pitched pretty well for the Astros. Goes six innings, gives up three hits, the two earned runs. He walked four, struck out five. Um, Hector Neris and Brian Abreu... Naris wasn't great. Uh, he pitched one complete inning, walked two, gave up one hit and a run. And then you look at the batting numbers. Mauricio Dubon showed up again, not surprised. Uh, Jordan Alvarez gets the home run, puts the two runs on the board. Jose Abreu goes one for three, and then everybody else goes over. Alex Bregman got the day off yesterday as Gray Kessinger made his MLB debut going 0 for 3 at the plate. Game four of that series is tonight, 6.07 first pitch in that one pregame beginning at 6 as soon as we get off the air right here on the game. Framber Valdez will go for the Astros tonight as the Blue Jays will battle him with Jose Barrios. Barrios 5-4 on the year with a 3.66 ERA. He's given up 67 hits, 7 home runs. He has struck out 68. Fromber with a 2.16 ERA, and he has 84 strikeouts on the season. Again, throughout today's show, we're going to hear from the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, with his thoughts on LSU's Super Regional matchup with Kentucky. We'll talk to Brett Chancey about the Houston Astros, plus hear more from Dennis Allen, Derek Carr, Michael Thomas 
from the final day of Saints OTAs. And, of course, your calls on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time, and we'll be back right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The defending World Series champs are starting to warm up, and you can see them live in person. This is the final day to enter to win the Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there by registering in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com for four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. And as always, Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, James, 418, let's have some fun. Let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. And I'm going to pose some over-under questions. And, and we'll discuss question number one. The Saints will win over under eight games in 2023. I'll take the over for that one. Uh, I'm looking at about a 10 and seven season, maybe 11 and six if you get a lucky break on an extra game. Okay, let's let's go with the higher end there and let's say they finish 11 and six. Okay. With an 11-6 record, or, or let me let me let me pose it this way: over under that 11 and six is good enough to win you the division. Yeah, 11 and six definitely should win you the division. I I agree. Uh, I think your closest your, threat, your closest threat of the three NFC South teams between the Falcons. Panthers and Buccaneers more likely than not will be the Atlanta Falcons yeah. even though they have a lot of growing that they need to do themselves with a young QB who showed some flashes here and there but you don't feel like he's a world burner in Desmond Ritter still got a lot to see about that but you did get Bijan Robinson which a lot of people would say was a top three top two prospect in the draft and you got him at the eighth pick so you would feel good about that Solid weapons here and there, and you got some talented guys on defense. Derek Carr over under four thousand passing yards. I, I'll take the over. I could see it being like four thousand and seventy five, forty one hundred. I don't think he explodes for like forty seven to five thousand yards, but I think I, th- I think he eclipses that four thousand yard mark. He's done that pretty much. A good bit of the year if not it's been super close and that's with been may receiving cores and with the Raiders I'm gonna take the under um I I think he's gonna be around 36 3700 okay um strictly because I think the Saints are gonna have a very good rushing attack that's fair in, in 2023 so you're not gonna be throwing the ball you know 40 50 times a game and if you're going to use Taysom Hill more often correct than you did last year that's going to be less opportunities that Derek Carr is going to be on the field over under, over under Jamal Williams nine and a half touchdowns. I'm gonna go under. Okay. I think he's gonna get 
a good bit of goal line work. But once Alva Kamara gets back and Taysom Hill just also having a nose for the end zone himself, and then you never know, you'll you might see a Derek Carr sneak over the over the goal line every once in a while. So it's like he's definitely not gonna get the seventeen, but nine still feels like a stretch. I think seven is a good mark for him. I'm going to take the under as well, uh, strictly because he had 17 a year ago. I just don't think you, you come close to that kind of production again. If you do, great. Yeah, I mean, I mean if- I, I'm rooting for you to have 20. But, you know, if you get 8-9, still a good year. I'll I'll be okay with that, um, especially if it comes with seven 800 yards in, in this Saints offense. But, you know, one, one thing that's interesting as we approach the season is when you look at the preseason – and you look at those three games, now it's three games, and as a fan, you look at your roster and you go, what vets are going to play? And if they play, how much? Typically, you wouldn't want your quarterback to play a whole lot in the preseason. However, with Derek Carr's situation, learning a new offense, still getting acclimated with his new team, will he play in the preseason even though he's a veteran. Yeah, for me, um, you know, I've, you know, this will be 10 years of, you know, football and live bullets. And so I, I haven't played much in the preseason before. Um, I think maybe with Gruden, one or two total series in four years. Um, there were some, you know, um, times that I didn't play at all in the preseason and we'd still, you know, play good in the first couple of weeks. So it, it proved to me that, you know, if you practice the right way, and you do things with those like joint practices. I don't know if we have them or not, but if whenever you have those, like those are, those are better than preseason reps because you actually get they actually show stuff. You know, they show the pressures, they show different coverages rather than what they show in the preseason. You know, and uh, so that's just how it's been. Now, if they want me to play, I, I'm not against playing. I, anytime I have the opportunity to put put that jersey on, and it's a blessing to walk out on that field. So if they need me to play, I play. You know, you only play 30 plays, I play 30 plays. You only play. Whole half, I may question. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, but I'll play. You know, it's like I'm never gonna, you know, feel like I, I don't need it. You know, I'll, if you need me to play, I think the coaches will probably want me to probably want to see me. You know, throw a couple in their jersey. You know, uh, so we'll see. We haven't even talked about it, if I'm honest. But if I play, awesome. If not, we'll make sure we're ready to go on week one. So I know typically you, you shy away from playing your quarterback in the preseason, or at least a lot. If I'm the Saints, that first preseason game, I think you give them two series. That second game, I think you give them a quarter. And then you sit them the third one. Yeah, that's per, that's uh, actually pretty standard with time when it comes to the Saints and their QB situation. Because even with Drew, you would see him play for two series, so it ends up being about a quarter then the second or second to last game it gets ramped up to hey let's see what you can do for about a half and that's really your your like i guess your checkpoint your check mark to see like hey is everything like still running smooth and then for the third game it's like let's this third game is for everybody that is still fighting for a chance to get on that roster here's your last opportunity to show what you can do certainly certainly um so yeah I don't know that I would, you know, just throw them out to the wolves, but, you know, 
give them a drive, maybe give them two. Mm-hmm. Second game, give them you know three or four possessions, and then I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even have him in pads for the third game, honestly. Oh yeah, just let him wear his jersey. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even put him in pads. Uh, but you know, Derek Carr also talked about Michael Thomas and when he's healthy. We talked about this the other day, James and I. When he's healthy, Michael Thomas is a violent route runner. Yeah, he's a violent route runner. Um, you know, there's a few guys that are like that. And I, I won't start naming them because people get offended, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's very few guys that run such violent routes and catch the ball and get back downhill. Like, a lot of guys like to catch that ball and dance around. Like, he ca- gets north and south, you know, like – he turns what should be second and five into second and two, you know, and, and that right there changes a football game, you know, it, and, you know, to the naked eye, it's just another slant or it's just another this route or it's just another over, but it's not, you know, he catches it. It's just another stick route, but what he's doing after the catch, what he's doing, you know, when, when he's rolling, you, what he dictates, you know, coverages, you know, you have to account for him, you know, because he's so talented he's so aggressive at the catch point you know when even if he is covered you can still throw it out there and he he can body him up in his hand he extends his hands strong hands um he's a bigger receiver so you can trust him with those kind of throws as well the back shoulder throws he's he can win over the top and catch those you know late hands and you know those are the things that as i was watching the film like it's very attractive you know to me especially when you get all the pieces going um you know and you add them all and they're all healthy and they're all there you know it's what it could be sounds fun, you know. Um, it's not we're not there yet, but it you know sure sounds exciting, you know, when you think about it. Speaking of Michael Thomas, he talked to the media about his restructured contract and what it means for the organization to be in that situation. Oh, I mean that was kind of like I mean to me in my world, I feel like that's just like really like you know fluff and you know just getting contracts done. But I feel like the, t- the organization knows my knows my value. I feel like we're on the same page. We have a very good relationship, no matter how the narrative may be. Um, I feel like we've, we've always had, between me and anyone in the front office, we've always had great communication. And I, I, it was like, I don't feel like I ever like left or had to sign a contract. It was just the fact that maybe I was injured and it was just off-season talk. But besides that, I knew I was always going to be playing here. I knew I would be the receiver. I knew our priorities for offseason was to get a quarterback and put some pieces around us. So I was always involved. So the uh, the other stuff I can't really control yet. Sounds to me like he was never, ever going to get traded. No. <laughs> no. From, from his vantage point, it certainly doesn't sound like he was going to get traded. And, you know, Dennis Allen was asked about Mike and, and his – closeness to to the team and Dennis Allen said that Mike Thomas has always been a team first guy yeah look uh, Mike's always been a, a, a great team guy um, and uh, we kind of had this plan kind of mapped out where he was going to focus on his rehab um, he's got a lot of people that that uh, he works with to help him uh, get himself right and, uh, and and get him hopefully ready to go in, in training camp so um, it's great to have him back out here. This New Orleans Saints offense is just going to be so much fun. It it really is. This is going to remind me a lot of the 
2011 to 2014 offense where Drew Brees was really, you know, in his prime. You had young Mark Ingram, Reggie Bush, Brandon Cooks on the back end of that. Just Marcus Colston, just a ton of fun to be around every single Sunday. And I just feel like this offense is going to produce and put up crazy numbers. I mean, every simulation I've done has Derek Carr throwing for 4,500-plus yards. I mean, this offense is going to put on a clinic in 2023 if everybody can stay healthy. And that is, of course, the the big if every single time. But some other NFL news to get to real quick. How about Dalvin Cook getting released by the Minnesota Vikings? James, where does he go? You would think he would go to Miami since every report ever has been saying like Miami was trying to trade for Dalvin Cook back in March. If like even even before he was released, they were talking about it again not too long ago. And then even if he does get released, like Miami is still a choice. So it's like it feels like he would go back to Florida if you're Dalvin Cook. Could Denver be in that mix? Sean Payton's making moves. Could Denver be in that mix? They could. They could always go for another running back. I mean, Javante's going to be coming off an ACL tear. And uh, we, we'd seen last year what the Broncos had looked like with their running back situation once that went down. They, they took Latavius Murray as soon as they got the chance from the Saints. So, yeah, I, f- I feel like that's a team that could go for it. I don't know how likely it is that the Broncos would go for Dalvin, but you you kind of think off top, it would be the Dolphins that are the lead favorite for sure. Speaking of the Broncos, how about adding Frank Clark to their defensive edge rush? What are your, what are your thoughts on that move, James? Feels like it's more of a revenge thing for Frank Clark to be able to play the Chiefs twice. It kind of gives like that not he he has that knowledge of the Chiefs organization. Like once it comes up, like hey, he's he's going to take the lead on trying to help game plan against the Chiefs to try and give the Broncos a better chance. Like hey, since you played for him so long, I mean you got to know a lot of the ins and outs. You got to know what Mahomes and company likes to do and like what's their little intricacies and whatnots like in between. What what are some things that we could pick up on that we could take advantage of. The Sean Payton effect is strong in Denver. Uh, They can't stay out of the news. Garrett Bowles, who protects Russell Wilson's blind side, said that Russell Wilson haters and critics are going to eat crow in 2023. He's a great dude. He's the same guy every single day. He works his butt off, and I'm ready for that stuff to go away. And when it does, everyone's going to eat crow. And apparently there's reports that Russell Wilson is lighter headed into year two with Denver. Hmm. I'm not I'm not too worried about the, the lighter part, but the eating crow, we'll believe it when we see it. Look, I'm a huge Russell Wilson fan, but he was bad last year really bad if he can have a resurgence great but we'll see 
Anyways, 433, we'll take a timeout. The voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, joins us next to preview the Super Regionals of the box between LSU and Kentucky. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, 437, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. The LSU Fighting Tigers will be back at Alex Box Stadium and Skip Burtman Field this weekend for the Super Regionals between the Tigers and the Kentucky Wildcats. First game Saturday at 2 o'clock, pregame at 1.30, right here on the game. Joining us on the game hotline to preview the weekend is the voice of the Tigers, Mr. Chris Blair. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time, sir. How are you? Doing good, Matt. Hope you gentlemen are doing fine. Absolutely. You know, I, I go back to the, this series at Alex Box Stadium just two months ago, and, and it feels like, it's been a lot less than two months, but that series, it opened with a 16-6 to run rule, and then LSU dropped the Friday game before winning a tight one on Saturday to take the series. Question number one is, you know, what can this team take from that series two months ago and apply it to this Super Regional matchup this weekend? Well, first of all, I mean, I think, you know, you go back to that, that, that weekend here in Baton Rouge where the Tigers took two of three, as you pointed out. I mean, it's it's basically two months ago. So uh, the way I look at it, in my experience with uh, super regionals, especially, but but super regionals and obviously those that make it to Omaha, whenever you played that team earlier in the year, throw it out the window. Now there's going to be characteristics, but the big difference is going to be the confidence in which a team is playing with. But to your question, uh, the thing you have to look out for is the leadoff hitter of every inning. Uh, once Kentucky gets a runner aboard, that's when they try to cause havoc. They're not a big extra base hit team. They're not a big home run team, but they are a big steal team. They led the SEC in steals. Uh, they will sack bunt. They will bunt for a single. Um, they just you know pull out everything they can possibly do to put pressure on the pitcher, obviously, but but the defense. And you know you look at that one game where LSU lost 13-10, to 10. you know, there were a couple of big innings for Kentucky. Uh, they played it five runs in the fifth, five runs in the seventh, and, and LSU had three errors on the day. And while Ty Floyd, you know, started out well, he went four and two-thirds, you know, they gave up, uh, I believe, five walks. Um, they hit a couple of batters. I mean, giving Kentucky things only adds to the pressure that they're going to put upon you. Uh, and, and, you know, Jay Johnson said it, you know, before the start of that series in mid-April, we've got to get the leadoff man on, uh, keep the leadoff man from getting on, because when that happens, suddenly you get an out, maybe you get two outs. Kentucky's weaponry starts to get diminished a little bit. I don't think that's going to be any different. You know, watching uh, two of their games this past weekend in the regional, both those games over Indiana, uh, you know, that's that's who this team is. That's their M.O. But they're playing with a ton of confidence, and I think the biggest difference is their starting pitching in their bullpen. I think they're a lot different than they were in mid-April. Yeah, you know, you talked about their ability to, to manufacture runs, 91 stolen bases on the year, 28 sacrifice flies. They don't hit a whole lot of home runs, like you said, 51 as a team. Uh, but they do wreck a lot of havoc once they get runners on base. How do you think that kind of style plays into LSU's defensive style? You know, will pitchers get a little flustered if a guy is is dancing around the base paths, threatening to take off for the next base? 
Well, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously you want Hayden Travinsky in the lineup because simply he's been one of the hottest hitters, not on this LSU team, but in the country. When you take a look at his last 14 games, he has been just an absolute monster at the plate. So then you ask yourself, do you want Travinsky behind the plate? Which I think defensively he's played well. He's given up some pass balls. He's not been able to block some wild pitches, but he has been pretty good against base runners. Um, you know, when they challenge him. Obviously, you know, Alex Malazzo, we know what he can do. Um, so I think that, you know, there's going to be pressure on, on the Tiger catchers, whoever is behind the plate. But I think when you look at Paul Skeens, I mean, Paul Skeens really didn't have much trouble, uh, as we mentioned in that run rule game in the first meeting, just simply because he's hard to hit. He's hard to bunt. He's hard to get anything off of. You can ask just about every team he's played this year. Ty Floyd, I think the key for Ty is that, Again, Kentucky's going to be playing in a bigger ballpark. They're not a big power-hitting team. Um, and he's a fly ball pitcher. As long as he hits his spots, he'll give up contact, but he'll you know get the ball up in the air, and, and that gives LSU a chance to, to burn a bunch of outs in that contest. So, uh, again, once a runner gets on board, you know that's when Kentucky really starts to make hay. Uh, but I think Jay Johnson's well aware of that. This team, obviously, well aware of it, having three games played against the Wildcats. Uh, but I think that LSU's defense starts with their pitching staff and I think if they can avoid putting those runners on and giving up those free passes, make them earn it. Make them swing the bat and find the holes in the infield and find the grass in the outfield. Because if they can't do that, you don't want to give them walks to get runners on. You don't want to have bad fundamental baseball when it comes to bunts, whether it's a sack or a bunt for a single or a drag bunt. You've got to have your fundamental sound. And if LSU does that, I think they'll be in good shape. You brought up the pitching staff, and obviously we know about Paul Skeens, finalist for the Golden Spikes Award finalist for the Dick Hauser Trophy as as well. And then you mentioned Ty Floyd. Can we talk about how good Thatcher Hurd has been over the last two or so weeks? Yeah, I mean, he's really been a shot in the arm for this pitching staff, one they desperately needed. I mean, Thatcher has been really good in his last couple of outings um, just simply because he's, he's thrown strikes. He's had good command. He's had good control, something that kind of was his M.O. coming into uh, the transfer to LSU. That's what everybody was expecting. Hey, look. There's a change in location. Uh, there's a change in the pressure. Uh, no offense to UCLA. There's a lot of things that I think Thatcher really had to get used to. Uh, but I think we all kind of went to Hoover, Alabama. He had that chance uh, against South Carolina that early morning with five and a third, uh, four strikeouts. I mean, he looked he looked the part. And since that moment in Hoover, I, I think there's a lot of confidence that Jay has in Thatcher Hurd. And more importantly, guys, I think there's a lot of confidence that Thatcher now has in himself. Um, again, last weekend, the weather played a lot of havoc. There was a lot of chess moves that had to be made outside of Paul Skeens being the designated starter uh, in that regional. But, but it wouldn't surprise me to go Skeens, Floyd, and Thatcher Hurd um, because I think, again, from that confidence standpoint and his stuff, you know, we've said it all season long, it's not his stuff. Um, he certainly has stuff to be effective not only in the SEC but, but at this time of year. Uh, and the fact that I think he's a little more confident now makes him very dangerous for opposing teams. Chatting with the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, here on Crunch Time. Looking at the offense, uh, again, go, kind of talking about Paul Skeens a second ago, we know what you're going to get out of Dylan Cruz. Uh, you know what you've you've gotten lately out of Hayden Travinsky, and it's been refreshing. Tommy White's going to deliver you know the same stuff every time. Who else in this lineup needs to deliver for the Tigers this weekend? Because one guy... That, that you liked early on is Trey Morgan, but but he's kind of fallen off a little bit in the postseason. 
Well, he can be a big shot. I think, you know, Tommy White uh, is, like you said, he's going to get what he gets. I don't know that he looked 100%. Uh, he took some swings that are very uncharacteristic uh, this past weekend. So, you know, again, I don't have any inside knowledge, but he just didn't quite look the same. Uh, hopefully, you know, uh, basically a week, or at least Monday to Saturday, Tuesday to Saturday, uh, you know, he'll get back to 100% and look 100%. But I think Trey Morgan's another guy that, you know, don't count him out. Just when you count Trey Morgan out, uh, he turns around and, and puts in a stellar performance. So he can be a difference maker. Uh, Gavin Dugas, I think, he's moved down in the lineup now that they've moved Dylan Cruz at the leadoff hitter. Uh, and I think Gavin is looking to be a little more consistent. And when he is, he gives you so much. Because if he gets on base, he's not the speediest guy, but he is a very smart base runner for the most part. And, you know, he'll take advantage of getting on first and find a way to get to third. Um, so I think he's valuable. And, you know, don't forget about Jordan Thompson. Uh, Thompson, of course, you know, with what he's done at the plate this year and the improvement he's made in the field at shortstop, you'll take whatever average he's got, 264, 259, 276. Uh, I'll take him in the field with that average. But he's had some big moments at this time of the year in the postseason. Uh, and, and Josh Pearson, uh, we commented on the radio during the weekend uh, in the regional that you talk about Dylan Cruz, you talk about Tommy White. Obviously, Trey Morgan comes to mind. I already mentioned Hayden Travinsky, Kate Beloso. It's nice that you've got a guy like Josh Pearson that maybe doesn't get all the headlines, certainly not as prominent as he was a year ago in that freshman campaign, but he just goes about it just just like a professional. Um Again, against Oregon State, he, he had some key hits, a couple of triples against the Beavers. Um, and he's also uh, deceivingly fast when he gets aboard. Uh, so for me, I think Gavin Dugas, Josh Pearson, and Jordan Thompson. Because I feel pretty good about the rest of those guys. Um, and all of a sudden, if, if you got the 7, 8, 9 in your order as a threat against a Kentucky team that wants to keep it a low-scoring game, that makes a very different animal for the Wildcats to contend with. If Mother Nature wants to throw a wrench in this weekend, and, and it looks like that she very well might, uh, you know, who, who's better fit to, to battle Mother Nature as well as their opposition? I think it's LSU, and I think that goes back to just the depth. I mean, uh, again, this team, as Jay Johnson said all year, there's not nine starters. There's 13, 14, 15 guys that he can plug in in different situations and feel like there's not a big drop-off in performance. Um, I think this pitching staff is a lot more confident than they were just three weeks ago. Uh, I think they proved it this past weekend with the weather they had to bob and weave. Uh, Riley Cooper getting the start, I thought he did exactly what the Tigers needed him to do uh, against Oregon State, a very good offensive team. Um, So, you know, I think that LSU probably, from a talent standpoint, and, and, and honestly a depth standpoint, I think has has the ability in the roster to withstand, you know, the ups and downs of possibly, you know, weather interrupting play this weekend for the Super Regionals. But we're just going to go ahead and think positive thoughts and positive things will happen. We'll get all two games off without a hitch. Chris Blair, the voice of the Tigers, joining us here on Crunch Time. Chris, appreciate you as always. Uh, have a great call this weekend, and uh, hopefully we can chat soon about a trip to Omaha. Let's do it. Sounds good to me. Thanks, guys. And there he goes, Chris Blair, the voice of the Fighting Tigers. You can catch him on the LSU Sports Radio Network right here on the game. Again, first pitch Saturday, 2 o'clock, pregame set for 1.30. We'll take a timeout. When we return, we'll wrap up hour number one right after this. 
This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you are looking for great deals, then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. There are plenty of two-for-one deals available right now, including a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50 or a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for $15. Once again, head to AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stanley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up our number one here from the EPCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EPCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. We were talking about the NBA Finals earlier in the first hour as the Denver Nuggets now have the 2-1 to lead over the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. But our poll question of the day is also kind of basketball related, especially NBA, since, you know, Chris Paul was released yesterday, waived by the Phoenix Suns and that kind of inspired us with our poll question of the day on Facebook and Twitter. Would you like to see Chris Paul return to New Orleans since he did start his young NBA career with the then Hornets? Is it yes, no, or maybe? Almost half of the people voting have said yes. And looking at some of the comments, Chico kind of sent a gif of saying, but why? Ralph said he's 38, so, realis- so realistically... It would be a year or two. Pels aren't that close. They could sign him to lob dunks to Zion and warmups, but then both sit on the bench. Besides, LA already has RP3. <laughs> Having CP3 would be too confusing. Matt, I know we had kind of talked about it yesterday jokingly. If Oh, it'd be funny to have Lob City 2.0, but do you actually want Chris Paul back Even in Even if it's for a year, yes. Yes. A, you need a point guard. That is, that is a factual statement. And you like Jose Alvarado for the future, but he still needs a lot of development. What better guy to learn from than Chris Paul? Mm-hmm. Not to mention, it's a nostalgia thing. If the reports are true that Chris never really wanted to leave New Orleans, but he only did because he really had to, then why not? Why not? If he does, let's say he does sign with the Pelicans. What is your expectation? Because in terms of what the Pelicans as a as a team and the season as a whole, the because, same the same that they are now. So you think it's just more of a hey, let's just use him to grab some knowledge for the younger players. Yeah, let's let's let him mold the young guys. If he pops off every now and again, great. But like Chris Paul's thirty eight. He's not going to be the, mm-hmm. the Chris Paul of 10 years ago. He's not going to be the Chris Paul of four years ago. But, yeah, I mean, if he if he could offer some valuable advice and mentorship to your younger guys on his way out the door and, you know, score 10 to 12 points a game for you, yeah. And you'd have him be the fourth or fifth option in the starting lineup. Yeah. When everybody's healthy. 
Because I, you would leave it up to B.I., you leave it up to Zion, you leave it up to C.J. to be the first three options to score. He could be the facilitator and then let Jonas be cleanup duty. For sure. For sure. Um, I, I think that that would be a great move for the Pelicans. You could probably get, at this point in his career, you could probably get him pretty affordably. Right, because I was going to say you'd want to sign him to a pretty manageable deal because could, at this point you're 38 it's like you shouldn't be commanding top right. dollar and you could probably accomplish that because Chris Paul's made enough money and I don't I don't think he's he's looking for somewhere to to get money now could he be looking somewhere to sit on the bench for a year snag a ring and go home that's also very possible so don't be surprised if he goes to you know Denver or Somewhere like that where he can just get a ring and be done. Because that's the one thing missing from his resume is a ring. But we're about to take a time out for hour number one. In hour number two, one of the first things I want to get to, a picture is circulating on social media of a priest blessing the stands of Pete Taylor Park before the Super Regional between Southern Miss and Tennessee. My question is, why? I'm a religious person. But this just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Hour number one in the books. We're going to kick off hour number two right after this top of the hour sports update here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In hour number one, we talked about the New Orleans Saints. We looked at the Houston Astros and previewed the LSU Tigers Super Regional. Here in hour number two, we're going to talk more about the Astros, get to some PGA Tour and NASCAR talk, and some more NFL conversation as well. But first, there's a post circulating on Twitter from Blake Levine, the sports director of WJTV in Mississippi in Jackson, and it is a picture of maybe a priest, maybe a deacon, some kind of religious, you know, entity, person, walking through the bleachers of Pete Taylor Park, blessing the stands. Now, where this gets interesting is it was retweeted by College Baseball Central. And it says, any place that is about to hold Tennessee fans, no matter how many, probably needs the big guy watching upstairs. We all know that the big guy is locked in on Super Regional Weekend. And of course, he's referring to the fact that Tennessee baseball fans like to party, just like LSU baseball fans. So, uh, an interesting question that has kind of popped into my head is, if LSU and Tennessee played each other in a Super Regional, James, who would get crazier? 
Would it be LSU fans or would it be Tennessee fans? I'd probably give it to LSU, but I think it also depends on who's hosting. And the, uh, that's that to me that's a big determining factor on who's going to be who's going to be hosting the Super Regional. That that's a good point. That's a good point because if it's in Knoxville, it's a different situation. Correct, but, but if, if it's, it's in, in Baton Rouge, Rouge yeah, that's you're fair. leaning towards Tiger fans. That's fair. Uh, also, there's a bar in Omaha that does a, a Jello shot competition during the College World Series to see which fan base can consume the most Jello shots. And apparently, they're upset that Arkansas is not in the World Series because they broke the record. Uh, if LSU makes it, that that record might be in trouble. But I digress as we as we move on. Looking at some more top stories, Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals tonight in the NHL. Vegas has a 2-0 lead in that series. They're looking to take a 3-0 lead after winning the first two games in rather dramatic fashion. 5-2 in Game 1 and then 7-2 in Game number 2. The series flips over to Florida now in Miami. And the Panthers are the... Puck line favorite at minus 125 with an over-under of six. But I'm a a little concerned that that Florida has zero momentum. I mean, they've been outscored 12-4 to in the first two games. They have no momentum. And yeah, their home and their home crowd might give them a little bit of a boost, but is it going to be enough? Vegas looks well on their way to winning their first ever Stanley Cup. Right, and in those two games, even with it going to Florida now, I would still lean towards Vegas. I would still lean towards Vegas when it comes to Moneyline. And even if the Panthers win, I feel like it would be a very close game of 2-1, to 3-2. to two, And it may have to go to overtime for this. Now... Matthew Kachuk is going to be a guy that Florida is going to lean on very heavily in this in, in these next couple of games. He has 109 points in the regular season up to this point. And, and yeah, I mean, he's been a great player, but again, silent in the playoffs and or silent in this series. And Vegas has just had their number. And it's kind of like Denver in the NBA Finals. I think it's just destiny that Vegas wins the Stanley Cup this year. Because in 2018, their first year of existence, they looked well on their way to doing so. But there was a team that stood in their way. Oh, oh, right. That, that's right. The, the Washington Capitals took the Stanley Cup away from them back in 2018 and now they're back for the second time and I, and I think this time is going to be a much different story as Vegas will lift their first Stanley Cup going back to the NFL though now James I meant to bring this up when we were talking Saints earlier the Carolina Panthers have announced that for the foreseeable future in terms of offseason workouts Bryce Young will be the number one quarterback on the depth chart. And Frank Reich calls this the next step in the top pick's path to becoming the week one starter. 
I, I thought the whole plan here was that Andy Dalton was going to start, and then when they felt comfortable going to Bryce, that they would do so. This feels awfully quick. They must feel really good about Bryce. This feels awfully quick. Now, don't get me wrong. I haven't seen any clips of Bryce from OTAs. Maybe he's dazzling. I don't know. But from it going to Andy will start and you know we'll slowly work Bryce in to Bryce is going to head, head into minicamp as the number one quarterback on the depth chart. Huh? It's interesting. I'm not mad at it though, since you'd want him you'd want your young quarterback to be if he's going to be your week one starter, you'd want him to have as many first team reps as you possibly can. So having him start right away at minicamp as the first quarterback on the depth chart, I'm not I'm not really mad at the decision. He's only five foot ten, James. I'm taller than him. Oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I know. Uh, you still wouldn't beat Haley Van Lith, but I'm I'm proud of you. But I, I just... Sonia set that up. Oh, my God. I... This is going to hurt Bryce Young, in my opinion. Okay. Because I, I think Bryce is in a position where... Whether you love or hate Andy Dalton as a quarterback in the NFL in 2023, he needs some time to sit there and learn. And I don't think that him starting week one is the best move for him because that's obviously what they're trending towards. Unless there's a setback, Bryce Young, it appears, would be the week one starter for Carolina. And I just think that that's a bad move. But we had talked about it before, how unless Bryce is just absolutely behind and he has struggled throughout minicamp and training camp and preseason, you're just going to roll with him because you've mentioned it multiple times throughout the shows that that high of a pick, you're going to play week one. You, you, are. You, you, said it, you said it multiple times throughout these shows that if you were as as high of a pick as Bryce Young is, and even if you're a top five pick or even a top ten pick, if you're one of those elite guys that get drafted that early in a draft, you are more likely not going to start week one just because that is the expectation In most cases, yes. I just don't know. We'll see. I I just find it funny that Carolina went from, oh, Bryce needs time, Bryce needs to develop – and then two weeks later, oh, Bryce has developed. He's going to be the guy. Mm. He hasn't played against anybody yet. How about how about you run through some joint practices, and if he shines in joint practice, you know, then you can talk. Well, let's have him play somebody other than the pads, because that that's all that's all he's throwing against right now. But look, if if this is how Carolina wants to do things, uh, I mean, I'm not going to complain about it as a Saints fan. Because that that'll just make it easier to beat them. But once again, moving on from that, we talked yesterday about the PGA Tour Live Tour merger, and Roy McIlroy said yesterday that he hopes that the Live Golf is going away, 
and he believes that it will. But according to Greg Norman, or, or the league founded by Greg Norman, says, we know the big picture. We don't know the details because this is the beginning of the process. There's still a lot to be worked through in the coming weeks. I think a lot of our questions will be answered, but Live Golf is not going anywhere. We are and will continue to be a standalone entity. It is business as usual for us this year and beyond. James, obviously, there's still, like like it said, there's still a lot of details to work out. But at one point, it's going to come to the fact where you're going to be under the same umbrella, but you're going to do things so differently that will a partnership of sorts even really work? That That's the thing that's really just so confusing to me early on is you want to be together yet different. And, and you want to give players the opportunity to kind of you know, go play on live, but if they want to play in the Masters, they can do so. Or, you know, vice versa. It it just doesn't make sense. Well, I'm kind of looking at this partnership and if both sides are going to be happy, each one of them is going to have to make sacrifices of like, hey, I, I see this as a vision for this part of golf, but then... The other side will be like, okay, well, if that's the case, I see this is still needing to be a mainstay for us to be successful as a company, as a business, as an entertainment industry. That's the thing is it can't just be all PGA and you're just getting the money from Liv and then you also just can't have it the other way, whereas Correct. it's only run by Liv, but it's kind of like just the PGA. You know what I mean? Like PGA is going to have – their say in certain things and still going to have it the way they like it. But then I feel like live is going to also, they deserve to have their own mark on some things as well and be like, Hey, I like it this way. Let's change it like this. And then if it fails, then you just go the other way, but at least it can't be dominated by one or the other. Speaking of the PGA tour, the RBC Canadian open going on right now, Aaron Rye in the lead at five under Justin Lower at five under as well. Corey Connors and Chesson Hadley with him as well. Matt Fitzpatrick at four under. Justin Rose, three under. Mackenzie Hughes and Taylor Pendrith, three under as well. Tommy Fleetwood, two under. Carl Juan, two under. He won the Chittimacha, Louisiana Open just a couple years ago. Roy McElroy at tied for 35th. He is one under through Round number one, five fifteen. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time, and when we return, we'll look at the MLB plus give our own preview of LSU baseball this weekend as they host Kentucky in the box right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station know you love our shenanigans, both on and off the air. So go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at the Game Louisiana and click the bell so you can get notifications when we post our new content and game recaps. So go for more of our fun behind the scenes at the Game Louisiana on YouTube. 
once again. That is at the game Louisiana on YouTube. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. As we take a look around the MLB right now, the White Sox and the Yankees are in the seventh. White Sox lead that one 6-5, just getting underway in the first. 0-0 between the Tigers and the Phillies. The Dodgers beat the Reds 6-0 today. The Rays beat the Twins 4-2. 4-2. The Rays now 46-19 on the season. The Orioles taking down the Brewers 6-3. The Giants beating the Rockies 6-4. Couple games tonight. Again, the Astros Blue Jays. You'll hear it right here on the game. The Red Sox Guardians. White Sox Yankees will play a second game at 6-35. Mets Braves tonight. Cubs Angels tonight as well. The Diamondbacks and Nationals getting postponed due to the air quality in the Northeast after the wildfires in Canada. But James, flipping to college baseball now. Super Regionals get underway tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock with Duke and Virginia being the first game. 16 teams left. Eight of them go to Omaha. Let's start with the top seed. Wake Forest and Alabama. Out of those two teams, James, the number one versus the number 16, who punches their ticket to Omaha? Now, keep in mind, Wake Forest has had one of the better offenses throughout the season, and they have the best ERA in the country. They did outscore their opponents in the regional 48-7. to So, keeping all those things in mind, does Alabama really stand much of a chance against Wake Forest? I think the Crimson Tide could be competitive, but when I'm looking at it, I mean, Wake Forest just feels like it's too much of a juggernaut of an offense, and I think it'll be too much for Alabama to handle, so I'll, I'm, I'm going to take the Demon Deacons. Wake Forest is 20th in the country in team batting average. They have a team batting average of 308. LSU is at 14th with a batting average of 314. And then we talked about the the ERA. Wake Forest is tops in the country with a staff ERA of 2.78. Now, Alabama's not far behind them, 7th, with a 3.96 ERA. But I still think the offense for Wake Forest is just going to overpower this series. And I think Wake Forest moves on. Uh, Florida and South Carolina can... The Florida Gators, the two seed against the number 15 South Carolina Gamecocks. Will the Gators move on to Omaha, a team that has had a lot of recent success in the College World Series? I would lean towards Florida in this one. I mean, South Carolina, definitely a really good program, but it feels like with more of a recency type of thing, I would lean towards the Gators than the Gamecocks. I'm going Florida as well. I think they're just going to be too much, especially with with Cags in that lineup. I mean, 30 home runs, also a great pitcher. I just think the Gators are going to be too much. Stanford, Texas is another interesting 
matchup. Stanford, the overall eight seed, they'll play it in Stanford. Texas, the winner of the Coral Gables Regional, uh, had, had a couple of battles with Miami and the Raging Cajuns. I'm going to go with Stanford in, in this one. Uh, it will not be a pretty regional. I think, I mean, super regional. I think it goes three games, and I think all three games are going to be tight. But I, I think Stanford's going to use their home field advantage to find a way to overpower through this regional matchup and, and move on to Omaha. Right. I, I definitely could see this one going to three as well. I do like the fact that Stanford is. 22 and 8 at home. Yep. So I, I would lean towards the Cardinals as well. An all ACC super regional between Duke and Virginia. Duke is, is really an interesting story. They're kind of similar to Tulane. They came into this tournament with a record of 22 and 32. And yet somehow they have advanced to a super regional, taking out Coastal Carolina and Conway. Virginia battled with Army, Oklahoma, and East Carolina in their regional to now host a super regional. James, are you going Blue Devils or are you going Cavs here in, in, in this super regional matchup? I'm, I'll give my answer first. I'm going Virginia, but in a close one. Again, I could see this one going three games as well. Duke might have had a losing record in the regular season, but they're riding a lot of momentum. They're very confident right now. Uh, I think they make things very interesting in Charlottesville. But I think Virginia's going to power their way to Omaha. See, and I wanted to be different and pick Duke, but, I mean, Virginia's just been absolutely on a roll. I mean, last time For they sure. lost was to Duke. But Virginia ultimately won that three-game series. So it's like, could it be different? Sure. Could this this definitely? I see this going as a three-game series. I think it'll get to a third game, but I'm still going to take Virginia to win it. Oral Roberts is, is a four seed that advanced to the Super Regional after finishing 49 and 11 in the regular season, 23 and one in conference play. They're going to face an Oregon squad that had a good run in the Nashville Regional, taking down six-seeded Vanderbilt, as well as Eastern Illinois and Xavier. Look, Oral Roberts has been very impressive, and they're a great baseball program. I'm not going to take that away from them. However, the confidence and motivation of beating Vanderbilt, I think, propels Oregon. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that the Ducks quack their way to Omaha. You tried to make that one work. Yeah, it didn't really work. <laughs> uh, and same thing with that execution. Oof. I'm going to go with Oral Roberts to win it. Ooh, this guy just loves to be different. James Mesh. We had the same picks every time until loves just now. to be different. Just like he thinks. He has a different way of thinking in the fact that he could beat Haley Van Lith. And I keep bringing that up just because it's so funny. But, you know, what, what makes it even say, better... I are just going to bring it up once a segment at this I, point? I'm going to out you again. Okay. Because earlier this man also said, Oh, well, let me, let me play defense on Angel. <laughs> so let me play Haley first and then after let me play Angel. 
ne- next you're going to ask to play Flashe. Like, Might as well. You're going to go 0 for 3, bud. But anyways. Might as well. Indiana State, TCU. A lot of controversy with this Super Regional. People really wanted it to be in Teradice, a.k.a. Terre Haute, Indiana. But due to the city already agreeing to host the Indiana Special Olympics, there was just no way from a lodging standpoint or a staff standpoint, there was just no way to pull it off. So the Super Regional will now be in Fort Worth. TCU coming off of a magical weekend in Fayetteville where Trey Richardson just absolutely exploded for 11 RBIs in a game, including two grand slams. Uh, the Sycamores struggled a little bit in their regional, uh, but, but made it out. TCU had, a, had their way in Fayetteville. James, do the Horned Frogs or the Sycamores? punch their ticket to Omaha. TCU's been there before. Historically got a pretty good program. Indiana State, this could be new territory for them. Who wins it? Yeah, Indiana State's been a pretty good program. I've I've like what they've done this year, but I'm going to lean towards the Horn Frogs. I like what TCU has done just a little bit more, and I think with their experience, it should lead them down the path into Omaha. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with the Horned Frogs as well. I mean, Indiana State's been to the College World Series once, but it was all the way back in 1986. Um, th- this is... Tell them only... to update their logo. What's that? I said tell them to update their logo. Yeah, it... it I think, a... That thing feels a little old school. It, it's a little old school, for sure. The logo was back when they last made the College World Series. This is only their second time playing in a Super Regional. Um, actually, this is going to be their first super regional. Excuse me, because it's a back newer, in, it's a newer back format. in 1986, <laughs> there wasn't super regionals. You played 16 regionals, and the winner of each regional moved on. Uh, so this is actually their first super regional appearance. Tennessee Southern Miss again, a lot of controversy in this one as well. Everybody wanted this one to be in Knoxville, but because Southern Miss was on right on the edge of hosting a regional to begin with. The NCAA said, you know what? We've seen crowds in Hattiesburg. It'll be a good environment. They nearly hosted the first time, so why not give it to them this time? Tennessee could use that as a fire uh, to propel them in Omaha. they got a really strong offense, but so does Southern Miss. And Southern Miss also has a guy by the name of Tanner Hall. But also, Tennessee has a guy by the name of Chase Dolander. So, this will be a bloodbath. This will be a three-game knockdown dragout super regional. Give me the volunteers in this one, James. Who do who, who do you take to to go to Omaha out of this region? Oh, I want to take Tennessee so bad. Oh, is he going Sun Belt? But I'm going with going the I'm going with the Fun Belt. Oh. Let's go. I'm going to go with Southern Miss. I'm going to go with Let's the Golden go. Eagles to make it to Omaha. As much as I'd love to see the Volunteers make it, since I love orange teams. This man does love orange teams. I do love me some orange teams. If you've ever seen my orange Crocs, you would know. But Those things are ugly. They're amazing. I'm going to go with Southern Miss. And then the last one, the one close to home, Alex Box Stadium, Baton Rouge, LSU, and Kentucky. Saturday, 2 o'clock is game number one. 
Paul Skeens is going to pitch in that one. Ty Floyd will likely go Sunday, and if they play a third game on Monday, maybe you could see Thatcher Hurd. But this was not an easy win the first time around for LSU. They run-ruled the first game, but then they lost the second one, and then the finale was a 7-6 to drag out. James, does LSU have enough momentum? And, of, of course, they have depth on their side. Can they get it done at home? Love their depth. Love that the defense and the pitching has significantly improved over what we saw towards the end of the season. I'm going to take LSU. I'm and I'm not super confident that it'll go to a Game 3. The more I think about it, it's like they're kind of riding high. And Lexington, I mean, Kentucky... They were kind of riding on their last life, having to be in the loser's bracket and just barely getting to this point. I'm going to say LSU, but it's going three games. Yes, Kentucky had to fight their way out of the loser's bracket in their own regional, but keep in mind, they were playing really good teams. At one point this year, West Virginia was the number six team in the country. They are not a scrub. No, they, they definitely aren't. Indiana either. So I'm not surprised that Kentucky had to scratch and claw. Um, I, I think that makes them battle-tested. I think that makes them hungry. And I think you're going to have a great super regional in Baton Rouge. Give me the Tigers, but it's going to go three games. We'll take a timeout. Brett Chancy joins us next to talk about the Houston Astros here on the game. Had a rough day at work. Got lady problems. Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 537, almost 538. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The Game Hotline is 337-706-0111 here inside the FCO Development Studios. Let's talk about the Houston Astros as we're about 20 minutes away from flipping it over to Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. First pitch at 607, Brett Chancy, host of the Locked On Astros, joins us on the Game Hotline. Brett, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, I'm doing good. You know, just um, hoping the Astros can pull out a win tonight. If they do, they'll win the season series um, four games to three. Question number one, and and I feel like I ask this to anybody that I talk to about the Houston Astros, but if you look at the stat line that Jordan Alvarez has produced early on this year, I mean, 17 homers, 55 RBIs. He's got an OPS of 968. I mean, he is just on fire right now for this team. Yeah, he is. I mean, you know, and and it seems like everybody's talking about the guys that aren't hot. When you have a guy that is hot, when you have a, when you have guys that are hitting the ball, um, you you definitely need to just realize what you got and hope that other guys can catch that same spark. Now, talking about catching a spark. Uh, another guy that, that could really use a spark right now, having a little bit of a slow start to the year. Talk to me about Jeremy Pena and how he can get right at the plate. You know, Jeremy Pena, it just seems like every every time I, I watch him when he strikes out, he's striking out on almost exactly the same pitch. Um, and 
I definitely don't want to dismiss a major league hitter and compare. Well, I'm not. I'm not really being serious here, but the other day I kind of joked with someone that I was watching the game with when he struck out on the same. Like he had three of the same pitches down. They weren't even close to being strike zone, and I said. He's swinging right now like I swing on video games. Like when I play a baseball game, whether it's PS5 or anything like that, I literally swing at every pitch. I have, I have no idea how to gauge whether the ball is going to be in the zone or not. And it just seems like he's not picking up on the spin. Um, I don't know. Look, whatever Jordan did with Dubon, he needs to talk to Pena because it just seems like Pena is chasing way too much. Um and he needs to stay within his abilities. Those he needs to realize his weakness is that down and away that breaking pitch, and just wait till he gets that. Like force the pitcher to throw to him versus trying to go find a pitch to, you know, to send out to the field. You know, you brought up pitching, and that that's really been a, a bright spot for the Astros here lately. You know, J.P. France has had a good start to his MLB career. Hunter Brown having a strong rookie outing. Fromber and Christian Javier giving you, you know, pretty much what you expected out of each of them. But the storyline that I want to get to today is Lance McCullers suffering another setback. Mm-hmm. Could his future with the Houston Astros be in jeopardy? You know, I have said from the beginning of the year that if if Lance continues to struggle to get healthy, that they should just shut him down for the season, let him have a full calendar year, year of health, and literally reevaluate his role in the team and transition him to a bullpen guy. Look, when Lance McCullers is healthy, we know what he's done for this ball club. We know he can be a top three guy in any rotation, but I think his days of as a starter are pretty much over. Now I'm saying that I don't, I don't have the medicals. I don't have all the, you know, the nitty gritty details, but it just doesn't, it's, you know, when they keep saying setback, elbow discomfort and all these words, it's like, just tell us what we know. Like, Lance probably isn't going to pitch this season, and I didn't think he's going to pitch this season almost from the very beginning. Um, not that I'm some prophet or fortune teller, but to me it seems like his days as a starter are over. But you've got to still pay him. You've still got years on his contract, so you might as well make him put him in a role where he's at least effective in that role. And if that means a middle reliever, if that means a setup guy, that he's effective – then do that for him. But that's the only way that he's going to be able to help this team is if they adjust his role. I don't think he's done done. I don't think he's not like throwing his last pitch. But I think his days as a starter is, it, it, I think the writing's on the wall. Now, as it's crazy to think that we're already in June, um, the, the trade deadline is approaching-ish. Um, trade trade conversations are starting to pick up on, on what the teams are looking for. I've heard people say that the Astros are looking at arms. I've heard them say that they're also looking at bats. Where, where do you think the Astros have a bigger need, and who are some players that you like? Well, you know, I think I think the bigger need is you know pitching because you you do have your three horses that Dana Brown said 
you know, if we went into the playoffs with Javier Valdez and Brown as our three horses, you know, we would we would roll into the playoffs with those guys. But you would like to have somebody else. And I really like the thought of bringing on someone like Bieber. I know Bieber hasn't been, you know, pitching great, but I think what he has what he has to offer would be would be very intriguing. I think Lucas Giolito is a guy that the Astros could absolutely fix because when Giolito is on, he's on. But right now, from what I've heard, a couple of people I've talked to said that they said the market hasn't really matured enough to really start naming specific targets. I know Jorge Soler is a name that's been connected with the Astros, but the only thing about Soler is his strikeout rate. And this team's struck out 16 times in three games this year, and they only did it once over the last two seasons. So if strikeouts are an issue for the offense, I don't know that getting a power bat with a high strikeout rate is what this team needs. If you could get it, and I don't, I don't know who, who, who all's out there. I mean, do you go get a, do you go get a controversial name like a Cody Bellinger? Do you go get Richard Gritchick, who is having a career year? Of course, it's in Colorado, but you go get someone like him. Um, there are probably some teams that are going to be sellers and you're going to have to get a guy that probably does, does one thing really well, but maybe not a complete hitter, you know, where Dubon gets you on base, maybe Jorge Soler knocks him in with the home run. So I like Soler. I like Giolito. Um, I'm wondering if the Tigers are going to be sellers. Um, they've got some pieces. So right now it's a little too early, I think to name targets because I think the, I Man, I think the market's going to be wide open. I think there's going to be so many people looking. The Rangers are going to be looking. Yep, you know, they just lost sure. the Grom. I mean, they're going to be looking, and they they already needed bullpen help. So, um, the 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 buyers are going to be many, and I don't think the harvest is going to be as big as be as big as the market. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you brought up Lucas Giolito. I'll throw out a name that that is his teammate. How about Michael Kopech? You know, you know Michael Kopech. He is he's he's an interesting name, and you know he's also out there um, because I know a lot of people like to go go at you know let's get Dylan Cease. And I'm like, yeah, you you realize the value that guy has, um, but you know Kopech has has had at times in his career um, he's done he's done really well. He's got a high upside, and he may also be a guy that the, that the Astros could take and. They could end up fixing and helping him, maybe focusing on some different pitches, maybe throwing one pitch more than the other. Of course, I'd have to dive into uh, his peripherals and what he's done um, over his career, but there's probably some things there that the, that the Astros like. You know, I mean, heck, Aroldis Chapman is out there. Um, the Kansas City Royals are shopping him around and Barlow as well. So, there's a lot of possibilities out there that I think could make the Astros instantly better, especially if they get maybe another starter, um, maybe maybe some more back-end guys. I don't know. Chatting with Brett Chancy of Locked On Astros here on Crunch Time. After tonight's game, they have a three-game series in, in Cleveland this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, before a nine-game homestand. Mm-hmm. With Washington, Cincinnati, and the Mets, you know, nine game homestands, you know, sound 
great because you know obviously you, you get to stay in your own home ballpark. Uh, but what are what are the benefits to being home for that long for the Astros? Well, you know, I, you know, they actually flipped their home record. They're eighteen and fourteen right now. I think it's I think it's who you're facing. Um, the Nationals are completely down and out um, right now. You know, their last they're on a four game losing streak as we speak right now. Uh, you know, they are. It's funny their road record's actually better than their home record, but they've got a negative forty six run differential. The Reds are trying to catch some catch some fire right now. They just got a couple guys called up that the the De La Cruz kid and they have another um, prospect that they brought up. But I think it's just the teams you're facing. You know, heck, the Rangers are going to Tampa, so I would much rather see us facing the Guardians um, and then you know come home and you know face the Nationals, the Reds and teams like that, hopefully the Astros have solved the, the issue with the weaker teams, and they can take advantage of that. And maybe by the end of the five-game homestand, the Texas Rangers are looking up at the Houston Astros. Brett Chancy, host of the Locked on Astros podcast, joining us here on Crunch Time. Brett, appreciate you as always. Before you run, uh, who wins tonight and how's it get done? You know, I think the Astros win tonight, um, and I think that you see Framber Valdez do his thing. Um, I really, I really like what he offers as a counterpunch to the to the Blue Jays' powerful lineup. And I don't think Barrios has the same game against the Astros. I don't think he's the buzzsaw that Gosman and Bassett were. So I think the Astros can escape out of here. With around a six to three wing, see a couple long balls from the Astros. Um, as long as Valdez keeps the ball in the ballpark for the Astros, then um, I think that's a recipe for success. And hey, everybody needs to go uh, check out our YouTube channel. I actually interviewed Greg Kessinger about a week and a half before he got the big call. So um, that's a that's a that's a fun little interview. I interviewed him at Consolation Field. He's a great kid, and hopefully, I know he's not in the lineup tonight. But hopefully, once he gets in the lineup again, he'll get, you know, he'll be on the way to his first major league hit and doing some things to help contribute to the Houston Astros. Yeah, certainly happy for Gray, uh, Brett. Really appreciate your time again. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk soon. All right, thank you. Y'all have a good one. Go Astros. And there he goes, Brett Chancy, the host of Locked On Astros. Once again, head to his YouTube channel at Locked On Astros. And while you're there. Go ahead and type in at the game Louisiana and hit subscribe on that one as well. We'll take a time out, wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, then the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. You have days remaining. To sign up in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from AVI, and much more. But time is running out. The giveaway ends this Sunday. It's the Ultimate Man Cave Makeover, powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. 
Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. As we wrap up today's show here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, NASCAR this weekend, James. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow, but they're turning left and right this weekend. They're at Sonoma Raceway for the Save Mart 350. Getting innovative out here. Absolutely. I mean, wait, wait until wait until July 4th weekend when they race through downtown Chicago. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's I'm, I'm still very intrigued to see how that's going to work. Um, but yeah, Sonoma this weekend over in wine country should be a, uh, a fun race. Uh, that, that track typically is road courses are always privy to a lot of accidents, uh, which of course is why a lot of people watch NASCAR, unfortunately. Um, so that, that'll make for a, a good weekend out on the road course in Northern California. I want to take this opportunity to thank Brett Chancey for joining us, talking Astros, as well as the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, for previewing the Super Regional. Come back tomorrow. We'll talk more about the PGA with Ron Mintz and much more. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Let's send it over one more time to Rogers Center in Toronto with the voice of the Astros, Robert Ford and Steve Sparks on the Astros Radio Network, right here on the game.